0: And I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well, um, I'm going to start doing things, well, not necessarily different, but I'm going to focus in on a couple of things here in my radio program to help me with some other items I'm working on. Uh, Trying to get some videos put together, some writings put together. And so I'm going to begin a series on the book of Philippians, or the letter Paul wrote to the Philippians. And we're going to do that here today. But not, not, you know, with it, I'm not going to do the introduction or, or things like that. We'll start in chapter 1, verse 3, and move forward from there. And when we're done with Philippians, I want to go back and, and do Revelation again on the radio program and work through the whole letter of Revelation like I've done on Sunday nights here with North Valley. That way I can hopefully get something a little better put together on a recording <clears throat> for others who have asked me. For this. I thought this might be a good platform to, to work on that. And so uh, I hope uh, these things will become beneficial for you. And as always, uh, please go to our website, www.nvcoc.net. You can click on the radio mic there, go to get today's program and all of my past programs uh, on the uh, website there. And more information will be going there as we are updating it. But let me jump right into this because it's kind of long. Hopefully I'll get through all of it. I want to get to Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. And when we we start into this letter, don't forget these letters were always intended to be read out loud in front of the congregation. So that was happening there at Philippi. So Paul chooses his opening words here real carefully. He's going to embrace the love relationship he enjoys with them. Uh, His connection with them is not just limited to this you know, singular or role of um, of an apostle because he, you could say, fathered the church. He's found, he helped found it. His words reflect the intimate tie that you would expect that kind of like a parent has with a child. So the Philippians, knowing what they owe this man of God, have responded in kind toward him. They have this lasting bond between them. And hearing these words in this discourse of this personal greeting, You can almost feel as if we're almost intruding by reading someone else's mail. Now, I think a lot of preachers out there experience a Corinth-type message uh, during their earthly ministries. And they all occasionally need a Philippi to encourage them in their work. I've been talking with a friend of mine about a poor guy who's going through this problem. He's he's got Corinth. And he's struggling, and the, the, she's asked me if I could uh, call up this guy, or this guy could call me maybe, and uh, I could give him some words of encouragement. And I'm always, always willing to do that for my fellow brothers in Christ who are out there preaching the word. And so when we look at Philippi here in the Philippian letter, every thought that Paul has of this congregation seems to be positive and uplifting. And we can divide this first part, Philippians 1, 3 through 11, into three sections. Now, here's how we're going to break it down verses 3 through 6, Paul's continual prayer. Verses 7 to 8, this is Paul's compelling passion. And then 9 to 11, Paul's consuming petition. So let's start by reading verses 3 through 6 of chapter 1 here in Philippians. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Paul often begins a letter with a note of thanksgiving for, his, for the recipients. He includes a word of encouragement as he relates to these uh, disciples, his continual effort, praying on their behalf. In that first part there, in 3 and 4, it introduces the first of three motivations. Here's his motivation for praying in their behalf. And number one is his remembrance of them. He doesn't focus in on the bad memories, but on the good. He was falsely arrested and beaten uh, in 1 Thessalonians two two, Despite all this, Paul dwells upon the good things. We tend to remember the bad things, don't we? But here, since this is gratitude offered to God, the Apostle is telling these brothers that he takes their names before the Father in prayer. When someone mentions that he is praying for you, he intends it to be a comfort and to be encouragement. Paul's remembrance of all that transpired between them is what motivates this continual offering of thanksgiving. What preacher hasn't given thanks for the fond recollections of past ministries? I personally have enjoyed some Philippies for which I'm continually grateful. when I say that, I mean just congregations have done great things for me. The Alma School Road Church of Christ, the Durango Church of Christ, big time, and others all around the country helping me in, in many ways in the beginnings of my ministry, now here at North Valley. It is natural that joy accompanies these expressions. Uh, In fond remembrances of these relationships. And so, whenever Paul considers his work there at Philippi, his mind is filled with positive thoughts. It leads to a jubilant expression of gratitude. His joy is found all throughout the letter. And his prayers are for you all, he says. That includes every one of them. And we should note that Paul is not saying that he is uh, in perpetual prayer here for the Philippians, but rather that in his usual times of petition, in his prayers, Philippi comes to mind. And he's always so thankful for them. That was his first motivation. Number two is their partnership. There in verse 5. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. That word participation, Paul's favorite fellowship term. uh, is found throughout the letter. And it means to share something in common. It might be better translated as partnership rather than uh, uh, participation. Paul seems to have in mind financial support here. He brings that up in chapter 4. They also supported his work by their prayers and by sending Epaphroditus to minister to him. We'll see that in chapters 1 also in chapter 2. And so they were partnered with him in his work. And he says from the first day, uh, that's talking about when, uh, when they partnered up and, and takes us all the way back to the conversions of Lydia and the jailer. Uh, others have been added to the congregation in the intervening, intervening years until now. And they too are sharers with Paul in this great work. And then finally, number 3, verse 6, his conviction concerning them. Confident, Paul was confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in them would perfect it until the day of Christ. That, that's just a casual clause there, stating that um, the inner conviction from which he, his thanks to God, his petition for the Philippians, it all flows from this. He uses the word he, that's talking about God, the Father, the good work that was begun in them refers to the salvation he offered in Christ uh, by means of the gospel. So the power of God was unleashed in their hearts. When they received the message Paul presented to them, they acted on that word. And Paul is certain that since God began his work, he did not intend for it to end without bringing it to completion. Paul is not implying the modern doctrine of you know the impossibility of apostasy, you know, once saved, always saved, not at all. But that God will continue His work within the Philippians by means of His Word. The Father does not, uh, you know, begat as the King James puts it, begat us and then leaves us to mature on our own. He doesn't, you know, father children and say, okay, good luck, kids, goodbye. He provides the nourishment and the provision we need to grow spiritually by the edification we receive through His instruction. We generally refer to this process of maturing as sanctification. It is ongoing. It will not be completed until the day Jesus returns. An obvious reference to that second coming, until the day of Christ Jesus. No one can boast of what uh, he or she has done in accomplishing spiritual growth. It is brought about by God through the word and so <clears throat> all glory belongs to him we simply respond to the opportunities for growth right that's what we ought to be doing looking for those opportunities and responding accordingly according to the word of God to it and you can only respond accordingly if you know what the word says so that's that's the first point Paul's continual prayer there in verses three through six now seven and eight this is Paul's compelling, Compassion. Let's read that; those two verses. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. With these enduring terms, Paul writes this, And that reference to feel this way is right refers to all that he has previously written. There in verses 3 through 6, his gratitude, his joy, his confidence. And his feeling or thinking of Paul represents a positive attitude toward uh, these brothers in Philippi. The reason for this loving attitude is that I have you in my heart. The inner man, the emotional and reasoning self. These words express the deep, intimate, personal affection That he has for this congregation. And two things endear him to the Philippians and bring them into a relationship with him as partakers of grace with him. First, they are partakers of his imprisonment. Uh, That's going to be literally bonds, but often uh, plural denotes imprisonment. And second, they also fellowship his uh, defense in confirmation of the gospel. Now, these terms are used in reference to a uh, kind of like a judicial proceeding, Paul's plea as a defendant in a court, and the evidence to convince the judge of his innocence. So Paul's great concern is not himself, but it's the gospel. And um, he is really not worried about his own safety, since he'd much rather end this earthly life and go on home. His interest, though, is in the exaltation of the gospel message, desiring that his own conduct and circumstances not be the cause of its suffering defeat in some manner during his public trial. That's what he's, he's asking for. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And so the Philippians they've become partakers, there it is again, with Paul in both his imprisonment and trial by means of their prayers and their support of him. So they've partnered up again with him in all things. They are in this together. They're going to see it through to the end. And it seems strange that Paul would refer to this as a sharing in grace, right? He considered himself to be the recipient of divine favor, even in these difficult circumstances of life. That's how Paul, that's how Paul sees it. He, can, he knew, he knew that he was a chosen instrument of Christ, who uh, foretold that he would uh, what was it a- Acts nine there bear my name. Uh, Christ said to him, "You bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel." that he would suffer for the for Christ's sake. You can even rejoice in suffering. Colossians 1.24, which would also require a positive view of such trials. The church in Philippi has stood by Paul in assisting him in his ministry. And these brothers are certainly not ashamed of his imprisonment and uh, court appearances. So they are partakers of grace with Paul. Now verse 8. Paul continues his terms of endearment there in that verse, and to call God as witness is seen by some to mean that Paul is taking an oath. I think it's best to see this as merely a statement given to reinforce the truthfulness of what is being said. Paul is asserting something about his own heart which cannot be confirmed by anyone else. So, he declares that God is a witness of this great affection that he has for these brothers and could testify to the truthfulness of what he says about them. And you see that, that phrase there, long for, that's a translation of a Greek term that expresses a deep desire that is commendable. Not, it's opposed to lustful desires. It's a commendable deep desire. And with such fond memories of these brothers and with the renewed assistance that they have sent to him, He he now yearns to see them all again, all the more. Such an earnest desire for this church could only be described as with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now that term affection, that's our English word for a Greek word that literally means bowels or inward parts, is a term for the physical organs within the human body, but it's metaphorically used to refer to the center of one's affections for others. The love that is characteristic of Christ now resides within the heart of Paul for these Philippians. Christ has taken up residence within Paul's inner man by means of his own nature. And Paul now has the mind and heart of Christ. And it is because of this that he has such a deep affection for these Philippians. Christ's love is now expressing itself through Paul. All right, man, what a great letter. Imagine hearing this being read to you. This is why sometimes I open up with this first chapter, I'm thinking, man, I feel like I'm intruding here. All right, the third point, verses 9 through 11, Paul's consuming petition. Verses 9 to 11. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What, I mean, so here's Paul. He's expressing the contents of his prayers in behalf of these Philippians. Uh, there are certain requests that dominate his uh, uh, prayers to, to the Lord as he lists up their names before Him. And he he says there, And this I pray. This is in present tense in the Greek. It just means that it's a continual praying, uh, a consuming desire for God to provide these requests. And I see four specific petitions here. The first one, That your love may abound. In asking that their love may abound so more and more, he's implying that their love was already growing. This is agape love. It seeks For the highest benefit of its recipient and treats a person better than they deserve, it is the basis of the Christian life. It is natural that the Apostle would want these disciples to keep moving forward spiritually, especially in their love. And so he prays that this love will grow in real knowledge and in all discernment. That word knowledge, this is not the common term used to depict gaining knowledge, But it is often used in reference to one's knowing God and knowing the Christ. R.C.H. Linsky says this in his uh, commentary Paul often uses the word in the sense of knowledge of the heart and not mere knowledge of the head. And so our translators have given us the phrase real knowledge. It's an attempt to show in the English a different kind of knowledge is intended. That's what, that's what the word real is, is there for, um, to help us see that difference. So it is likely used here in a term of relationship. The love of the Philippians was to grow in the sphere of an intimate relationship with God. But Paul also adds all discernment. Now, this is a term that only occurs here in our New Testament. So you don't find it anywhere else. Talking about the Greek there. It, it, it can be translated as insight or maybe experience. And so you can see this here as a, a, a tact since it is um, it has to do with the capacity for practical judgment, being tactful. It, it, what he's saying, I think, is praying that their love will grow deeper and richer as they grow in relationship with God and in their personal experiences and their perceptions of life itself, seeing it correctly. Such a rich measure of love would provide not only the most intimate fellowship with God, but also would enable us to discern the right decisions toward people in various circumstances of human experience. Now, first part of chapter, uh, verse 10 there, He said, you know, that you may approve the things that are excellent. Now, verse 10 builds upon Paul's desire for their love to abound. And we see this as the second aspect of his petition. So that you may approve the things that are excellent. That word approve, it's a verb, meaning, sorry, it's got action there, that meant to examine or to put something to the test, as you would like a precious metal like gold but often referred to the results of examination that could be demonstrated. Uh, Roper, uh, he's one of the Truth For Today uh, commentary guys within the church, says it indicates that something has been examined, tested, and found to be genuine. What is to be approved and chosen by the Philippian testing are the things that are excellent. This is a term that refers to what is different but it is used in the sense of differing by surpassing everything else. So it means that that which excels or is excellent. Paul wants these brothers to make the right choices, testing out and approving what is excellent before God as they grow in their love. Um, you know, it, makes me, it always makes me think of uh, 1 Corinthians 10, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Don't you know, Whenever you get any thoughts in your mind, check it before the Lord. So you may approve the things that are excellent. Philippians here. So Paul himself engages in such testing and improving and had gained the insight that in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, he was able to count all things, that, that is the pursuit of this realm, to be lost, mere rubbish. There in chapter 3, verse 8. And he'll expand on that a little more there. Next, number 3. Uh, again, this is the second part of verse 10. Even though... Even though The last part of verse 10 builds on what has gone before. We may see this as a third aspect of Paul's petition. The purpose of this approving is in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Sincere has a sense of pure. Uh, Blameless means basically without stumbling. And although the brothers at Philippi were to constantly test the things of this world and approve and demonstrate the excellent things in their lives, they would themselves undergo the ultimate test of judgment in the day of Christ. That's I think that's the second reference or a, a reference to the second coming of Christ. Paul is praying that they will be prepared for the end of this earthly sojourn, their lives here, and may enjoy the good things God has prepared for the faithful. Number four uh, aspect of Paul's petition is there in verse eleven, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Fruit is what is naturally produced on a tree or vine. And um, the type of fruit produced is determined by the type of plant, right? Like you know, apple tree produces apple, orange tree, whatever you, you get it. So here, the fruit has its source in righteousness. It is because we have been declared righteous by God that we now exhibit a life of righteousness which may be seen in specific aspects of fruit, such as Galatians 5, 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? These are not qualities that characterize us prior to our becoming disciples of Christ. And so it is only through Christ, through Jesus, that this fruit is naturally produced in us. It wasn't before. Now. Only those who are trying to reflect the image of Christ will exhibit these qualities in their lives. Now, it is true that people of the world can love and have joy, but they do not have the kind of love Jesus possessed, which could be extended to enemies, nor the kind of joy that is never diminished by trials. All of these human characteristics take on a new meaning and a new dimension in the Christ, to the glory and praise of God. That's the object of all all for which Paul prays and he enumerates in this paragraph here in verses 3 through 11. God is to receive glory and praise in all that we do with our lives. That, That word glory, it means to shine forth and exalt God while praise is something said or done to honor him. God's work in saving the Philippians and us should exalt him and will do so if we walk in a manner worthy of that salvation. This echoes what Jesus declared in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5:16, when he said, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so with prayerful pronouncement, Paul begins his letter to a beloved congregation there in Philippi. And this opening paragraph is a positive affirmation of these brothers. And it is intended not only to encourage them in their Christian walk, but to convey the apostles' own deep feelings for them. What a great relationship. This is the relationship every preacher should be striving for with their congregation, helping them to attain this as well. Unfortunately, too often, I hear of congregations where they are there's so much infighting, so many little issues. And, uh, and sometimes a preacher is, is part of the problem, too. I'm not trying to say it's one or the other. Like a little things where, say, somebody doesn't like uh, the way uh, the, the carpet looks or uh, the way the chairs are set up or, or that someone's sitting in their spot or whatever it may be. And, and sometimes people will say things like that, and it's such a little problem and so somebody else, or maybe this is the preacher, will kind of hit on that thing. Oh, you shouldn't be that way. And it creates an irritation. It is just a little irritation, but every once in a while that person will scratch it. And when you scratch an irritation, it makes it grow. makes it worse. And eventually, it infects the whole body. And over something so little and tiny, the whole congregation splits. Be, be wronged in those cases. Just fix it. Who cares? It's a little thing. Focus on those things that are good, positive, pure. Get people focused on the Word and get them to it. Let's keep our minds and hearts focused on the Word of God. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Philippians this week and read through it and think about how we can express this kind of attitude. Even in the face when people are not showing the same attitude toward us, We can show it to them so they can see Christ and know how to act. Let's be like Paul. Let's be like the Philippian congregation. Always doing all we can to the glory of the Father for the uh, the, uh, uh, forward progression of the good news, the gospel message. I want to thank you always for being here. And again, remember, go to our website, www.nvcoc.net. Find out more about the congregation here. Hear this program on our uh, radio, just by clicking on that radio mic and finding it there in all of our past programs. Next week, we're going to continue in the book of Philippians. I hope you can join me. Feel free to send any questions you might have. You can do that through the website. Thank you. May the Lord bless you in your walk with Him. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.